Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the trial of Michael Barrison, who was charged with the attempted murders of Lauren Kanarek and Robert Goodwin in Long Valley, New Jersey. Kanarek was struck in the chest by two bullets from Barrison's weapon, and as it was undisputed that Barrison fired those shots, his legal team argued that he was not guilty because he was legally insane at the time of the shooting and in the alternative because he fired those shots in self-defense. In our last episode, we continued our coverage of the direct examination of alleged victim Lauren Kanarek, with Ms. Kanarek offering her perspective on the grievances that developed between her and the defendant. On today's installment, we hear more of Ms. Kanarek's testimony, including her account of the moment when Michael Barrison shot her. That's all coming up right after the break. Christopher Shellhorn continues his direct examination of alleged victim Lauren Kanarek by inquiring about the events on the day that the witness was shot. Judge Stephen Taylor presides. Let me direct your attention to Wednesday, August 7th. Do you remember generally what you were doing that morning? On August 7th? Yes. Sorry. I was on the porch. I was laying on my porch love seat, you know, on my tablet, either reading something or watching something, I'm sure, maybe on my phone. Shellhorn shows the witness and the jury a photo of the side of a white farmhouse. In the foreground on a concrete patio is an outdoor table set with three chairs. Behind the table and chairs, there's a bush, and behind the bush is a small porch with an awning, and extending beyond the awning is a large red umbrella that appears to be rigged to continue the shelter from the awning. On the right side of the photo is a gravel parking area with a small love seat that seems to have been cast on its side. And beyond the gravel parking area, there's some grass, a few trees and bushes, and a small farm driveway. Ms. Kenrick, I just wanted to use this picture uh, just to orient some of your testimony for the jury. What is S-345 a picture of? The back porch. And uh, what is the big red item that's in the, the middle of the picture? It's an umbrella. Did you put that umbrella there? I think Robert did. I don't think I'd be able to put that there myself. Now that doorway on the side of the house there, is there a doorway under the overhang? Yes. What did that doorway open into? It opened into two things. That's the way I would describe it. It opened into a laundry room, which is sort of like a common area. People could do their laundry in that room, but also was the entranceway specifically to the apartment that Robert and I were staying in the summer of 2019 as well a big stairway leading up to that apartment. And so is it fair to say that that would be the doorway that you would typically use to come and go from your apartment? Yes, that was the only doorway. Understanding that there wasn't anyone else living in the house at this time in in August of 2019, how would the people, when the working students lived downstairs, Mm -hmm. 
what door would they use to come and go? Um, you can't see it in this picture, but there was a, a stairway leading downstairs, and then there was a door, and that's how they would enter. It's, it's sort of to the left of this, uh, I don't know what to call this thing with little diamonds in it. Like the lattice? Yes. Um, to the left of that, there would be a stairway you could see, like, it's like sort of black behind there, like a shadow. That's where the stairs, I, think, I believe, led down. So it was generally a, a separate entrance yes. or a different entrance that they would use when they exactly exactly. Now you said that you were uh, sitting on the porch on August seventh, two thousand nineteen. Correct. Can we see that in this picture? You cannot see Rose sitting. No. Uh, why not? Because it's a giant bush. And that's the bush that's right in the middle of the screen. Yes. So behind that bush, there's a, a porch. Yes. Do you remember approximately how many steps up that porch would be from ground level? Not many. Maybe maybe two, three at the most, I would think. So you were sitting, you said, on a like a love seat on that porch? Yes. Do you see the love seat in this picture somewhere? Probably moved from where you would have left it or been laying. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, I can't believe I missed that. You can see the back of it behind the chair that is behind the little yellow, uh, I guess, evidence uh, triangle thing. Behind that chair is the back of the love seat. It's sort of like, it's like made of wicker. And I don't know, based on the nature of this photo, Judge, that the uh, pointer will work, but if I could just have Miss Canrack uh, step down and point out the love seat for the jury. Sure. Should I? Do you have the laser pointer? We do, Judge. I'm not sure that it will work on the, this photo. It is, if I may approach. Yeah, go ahead. You can try that to see if you can point. You press that button. Right there. Right, my hand's like not saying so. Judge, I believe the jurors in the gallery right could see that, but if you could Can just you see that, the members of the jury? I don't have to hold the button. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So that's the love seat you were talking about. Is that where it was when you were sitting on it? No. Uh, where was it? It was on the actual porch. And was the umbrella positioned there for a reason? Yeah. What's that? Um, it was positioned there for pretty much a, a couple reasons, mainly rain, which is why you see it's kind of like attached to the awning of the porch. We set it up so that rain could not come in. So, and also for sunlight. If there was like a glare in some way, it kind of just covered all bases. Rain, sun, weather, it, it helped. Now, on August 7th, you said you remember at some point you were uh, laying or sitting on that love seat on the, the porch by the entrance into the house. Before that, did you have any interactions with Michael Barrison that day? That day, no. Did you have any interactions with anyone from the barn that day? Nope. And I'll specifically direct your attention to about 2 o'clock that afternoon. <laughs> uh, was anyone else present at the farmhouse when you were there? Not that I knew of. No one else was at the house? Oh, at the house. I'm sorry, I didn't the farm. No, I'm, so, I'm probably so. being confusing saying farmhouse. I'll start was, calling it house. Was anyone else present at the house? Yes. Who was that? Robert. Robert. Do you know where he was? He was upstairs somewhere, probably the bedroom watching TV or on the phone or something. Now, when you were sitting on that love seat, yeah. did anything catch your attention from the area of the driveway? Yes. Can you tell the jury what that was? Yes. I was laying on the love seat on the porch and I began to hear pebbles kind of like being thrown around. And it was coming from the barn, sort of headed towards what I thought would be the road. And that's what caught my attention first, was just the sound of pebbles and the sound of what sounded like a heavier truck or car coming down the driveway. Did you see a truck or car? 
I did eventually. What did you see? I saw a big silver dually come over the crest and turn into the driveway where the porch area is and park. And, and based on living at the farm and, and working or uh, training at the farm, who commonly drove that silver dually? Michael. Did you see who was driving? Not at first. When you saw the truck come over the crest and then pull into the driveway where you were sitting, mm -hmm. what did you do? The first thing I did was ran upstairs to go and let Rob know that Michael was here all of a sudden. At that point, could you see what Rob was doing? Yes. What was he doing? He was on the bed and he was on the phone. And do you know or did you come to learn who he was talking to? I did. Who is that? Our One of our attorneys, Ed David. And how do you know that's who Rob was talking to? He told me. Did Rob do anything with the phone? N meaning, I'm sorry, he stayed on it and came downstairs with me. So you went downstairs. Uh, when you got downstairs, did you come to that same, did you go to that same doorway that you just identified in the photo S345? Yes. Did you see anyone outside at that point? Yes. Who did you see? Michael Barrison. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Prosecutor Shellhorn continues his examination of Lauren Canarek. Canarek describes where she saw Michael Barrison after she alerted her boyfriend, Rob Goodwin, that Barrison had driven up to the farmhouse. Shellhorn asks Canarek where she saw the defendant. Did you see where he was? Yes, I did. Can you tell the jury where you saw him? Yes, he was on this side of that bush with like partial area of his body kind of like hidden with the bush and the rest of his body was pretty much completely visible. So like what part of his body could you see? Like from here up, his arm, and that's, that's pretty much it. And just because uh, we're recording all this, but not necessarily video recording it, when you say from here up, where are you gesturing on Oh, body? sorry. Um, like, I guess waist up, maybe. Could you see his waistband? I don't remember if I was able to see it at that moment or not. Do you recall where Rob was at that time? Yes, Rob was at that time on the porch with, like, next to me. Was he still on the phone or did he do something with the phone? He was still on the phone when we saw Michael. And then at some point, did he do something with the phone? Yes. What did he do with the phone? He handed it to me. Did you talk on the phone at all? I did, I think, but 
I don't know what I said at that moment. I think I just said, Michael's here. I don't know why. Something along those lines. And do you recall whether or not the attorney was still on the line? Yes, he was. Did, without getting into specifics, did you hear whether or not Rob and Michael Barrison talked at all? Yes. Did you hear Michael Barrison say anything? Yes. What did you hear him say? I heard him say, um, mostly speaking to Rob at that point, um, you know, I don't want a war. How do I fix this? How, how can I make this all better? Something along those lines, almost exact words, along those lines. How can I make this better? I don't want a war. I just want to fix everything and make everything good again. What or how would you describe his demeanor when he said that? Calm. Just, yeah, I would just say calm. Was he yelling? No. Did you do anything after hearing him say that? I, after hearing him say that, I went down to go find out how he wanted to do that. I was willing to listen to this, whereas Robert, when he said this, I guess, to Robert, Robert just said, listen, you know, there's lawyers involved. We can make things better. It's fine. Just you know, have our lawyers talk. And Rob went back up onto the porch. I then was thinking, you know, all this stuff had been happening for the past couple of days. You know, Michael had been calling the police on us for reasons that we didn't even know why. And not this, that it was out of character. Um, for him to act one way one day and then, you know, be nice the next day. But I kind of wanted to know. So I walked over to him and said, you know, how do you plan to make this better? How do you, you know, you have a, a bill or so I was saying something about the bill that he had to settle with Rob, but I didn't get that far because why not? the minute I started talking pretty much or yeah, within the minute I started talking, he pulled out a gun and shot me once, twice directly in the chest. At that point, do you remember if you were still holding the phone with the attorney? I believe I was. Did you have anything else in your hands? No. How tall are you? 5'4". Do you know how tall Michael Barrison is? I believe he's 6'4". Did you see the gun? I did. Do you remember how he was holding the gun? Was it close to his body or pointed out and held away from his body? It was kind of like, pulled it out, pointed it, boom, boom, just like that. Can you tell the jury what you remember seeing or hearing when he fired the gun. Wait, I'm sorry. Can you repeat that What I, I wasn't sure. Can you remember or can you tell the jury what you remember seeing or hearing when Michael Barrison fired the gun? I remember when, when he fired it, what I remember seeing or hearing. I remember seeing my chest. Why'd you look at your chest? It was almost unreal to me that i just gotten shot. So I looked at my chest quickly to see are there really holes there? Like, this this can't be real. I also then saw Michael raise his arm up and shoot at Robert, who was on the porch still, just directly raised his arm, shot at Robert, and then Robert disappeared. At that point, I saw Michael run around me and go running up the stairs of the porch. And I don't know, so it's just some bits of blur, but... Do you, do you remember after seeing that you had been shot? Did you feel it? I did, I felt it, but I almost remember thinking, I, I did not start bleeding right away. So I looked at my chest and thought, oh, okay, maybe there's blanks or something. But then I started bleeding and I realized- remember, Do you remember what you were wearing, at, at least in terms of a top or tops? Yeah, I was actually wearing a red shirt with like gray sleeves. Since I usually always wore hoodies, I'm pretty sure I was wearing one that day as well. I, I think like a, either a yellow or a gray one. And by hoodie, you mean a, a sweatshirt? Yeah, like a sweatshirt that zipped up. I think I had unzipped with a hood. After Michael Barrison shot you twice in the chest, you said that you saw him turn the gun and point it at Robert? 
Yes, well, he shot at me, he shot, shot me, and then, yeah, he, ra he raised the gun up and immediately took a shot at Rob. And when I looked at the porch, I no longer saw Rob. So I fully thought that he was shot in the head and killed at that moment. Do you remember what you did right after that? Right after he shot me? Or right, right after he shot you and you saw him take a shot at Rob? I, um, you know, like, spun around in a circle or two thinking, like, is this real? Is this real? And then I looked on the porch and I saw Rob on top of Michael trying to, hold, like, restrain him. Because I guess uh, I didn't really see how that happened, but since Michael went up the stairs to do it, only I could imagine was to finish or to make sure that he did actually... Just, yeah, don't, don't, don't assume anything. Okay. Just tell us what you saw and what you heard, okay? okay. Thank you. Can you repeat? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Ask, ask a question, Mr. Shellhorn. Were you still holding the phone at that point? Yes. Do you remember specifically, do you remember making a 911 call? I didn't at the time, no. I told the lawyer that I was on the phone with what had happened. Now, at some point, uh, do you remember being on the phone with 911, whether you remember actually dialing or not? Vaguely. Do you remember what you said to the 911 operator? I said something to the effect of, I just been shot two times. Michael Barrasone shot me two times, or shot me two times in the chest, something along those, those lines. When you were making that call, or when you were on that call, do you remember approximately the area where you were? On the near, on or near the porch. And so if we're looking at S345, you're talking about that area near where the red umbrella is? Yes, like, like almost under it, in the area underneath that area. Judge, if I could have permission to play S113? Certainly. Shellhorn then plays the 911 call in its entirety once again, as he did during the testimony of first responder Corporal Derek Heimer. We will play the call again for you as well. It is very difficult to understand as dogs are barking, Ms. Kanarek is traumatized, and the recording is staticky. So as we play it, we will once again pause intermittently and try to clarify what is happening in the audio. Canarex says she's been shot in the heart. In shock, she repeats her address. Please help, please help, she pleads. The operator cannot understand the address. Kanarek repeats it and then says she's been shot twice and has lost a lot of blood. Again, as the operator tries to get the town name, Kanarek says she's losing a lot of blood and abruptly stops talking. Okay, sir. Get that fucking 
As the operator asks for the caller's phone number, a male voice comes on the line. It is the voice of Canarex boyfriend Richard Goodwin, who says, quote, A man came here with a fucking gun. I've got him detained right now. End quote. Goodwin then shouts a demand which is unclear. Perhaps he is demanding that the ambulance arrive immediately. The operator says she needs some information, and Goodwin responds, quote, You need information? Are you fucking crazy? End quote. Goodwin asks whether someone is coming and explains that he is only five foot six and the guy he is restraining is six foot three. The operator entreats Goodwin to stay on the line and says that an officer is on the way. We hear continued barking and some struggling as the operator asks what type of weapon was involved. Goodwin says he has no idea what kind of weapon. It's underneath him. I'm not touching it, he says. As the operator asks how many shots were fired, Goodwin responds three or four. Goodwin tries to calm and secure the barking dog while still restraining Barrison. The operator asks what time the shots were fired and then tries to find out how many people were involved. Though it's difficult to make out, Goodwin appears to say that Barrison fired at him and his girlfriend, Lauren, and affirms that there was just one person shooting. Goodwin starts yelling at Barrison, who appears to be struggling. Goodwin tells the operator that Barrison still has the gun in his hands. Goodwin then identifies the shooter by name as Michael Barrison, white, six foot four. 
Then he says to the operator that Barrison is moving and that he has to put the phone down. At this point, Goodwin stops speaking to the operator. We hear shouting and struggling that lasts for approximately 80 seconds. During the struggle, we hear a voice that we will later learn is Corporal Heimer saying, quote, Don't you fucking move or I will fucking kill you. Do you understand me? End quote. We then hear Kanarak again say, I'm shot. The remaining minute or so of the recording is a jumble of threats and shouts by police officers as they restrain Barrison and try to treat Ms. Kanarak. We will hear Prosecutor Shellhorn's direct examination of Lauren Kanarak in response to the 911 recording on our next episode. But for now, we bring to a close this installment of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison. If you want to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Taracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio, and trial audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Michael Barrison.